Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Good morning, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome to City Church. My name is Maddie. Thank you all so much for being here with us today. We are in week three of our current series, Walking Through the Book of Philippians. It's already been so encouraging. I am pumped for some of the topics that we're going to get to dive into throughout this series. Our very own Will and Fitz will be speaking later on in this series. So excited for that. David, last week, absolutely crushed it. If you missed either of the last two messages, highly recommend going back and checking those out on our podcast or YouTube channel. We are calling this series Summer Joyride. Last week, David titled his message Defiant Joy. The idea behind that being that as we read through Philippians and Paul is writing this letter from inside a jail cell awaiting a death sentence, he has an unusual amount of joy for someone in that situation. Well, that is incredible, and for the most part of the summer, we're going to get into some encouraging and uplifting topics and messages. Today, I have the lovely privilege of addressing the elephant in the room, the suffering that Paul is facing. To have defiant joy, there has to be something that Paul is defying. In this case, it's his situation. So far, Paul has introduced his letter to the Philippians, greeted them, expressed his deep gratitude for them, specifically how they've partnered with him in spreading the good news, the gospel. I've come to love the book of Philippians. It's one of the more encouraging books out of the Bible, just on the life that we're invited into in a relationship with Jesus. I do want to be honest with you guys right out of the gate here. Um, this has been by far the most challenging message for me to prepare. Literally three weeks ago, I had no idea what God wanted to do with this message. I do think I have some understanding um, as to why that was, and I'll share some of that with you. But it was really hard putting this one together. God, of course, met me in all of my emotions and gave me some good clarity and direction to what Paul was talking about here, specifically a look into God's character and how he works through our suffering. But as we're digging into this passage today, which I am excited to do now, I wasn't, but I am now, it's really good, it is. Um, But looking back on the way that I was feeling about it, one of the leading reasons is simply because I was challenged really challenged by this guy, Paul, by the way he lived and his outlook on his situation and deep, deep trust in God. I'll get more into that later, but one of the many things that makes this letter unique is to remember as you read each passage, each verse, is that he is sitting in a jail cell awaiting a death sentence to hear if the Roman government and authorities are going to execute him. Something else interesting to point out, and Drake mentioned this too in week one, is Paul's tone throughout this whole letter. This is by far the most gentle and kindly worded letter that I think Paul ever wrote, at least out of his letters in the Bible. Typically, if you got a letter from Paul, your first response was probably, oh crap, right? Like, what did we do? And that's not the case here. Throughout this entire book, Paul doesn't use words like sin, sinful nature, the flesh, not once. 
He's just celebrating these people, sharing a lot about himself, his heart, and the things he's learned along his journey and how God is using him. Ultimately, it's a letter of gratitude and encouragement. Another reason why I struggled with this message is I realized as I was prepping that suffering is such a dense topic. We could do a whole series around the topic of suffering alone, just with the depth of theology behind it. Um, There will be some other messages in this series that touch on the role of suffering in our lives and how God works through it, but there is so much more that can be learned or talked about in 35 minutes. So toward the end today, Um, I'll give you some resources that I found to be super helpful on suffering, specifically through the lens of Christianity. Today, though, we're keeping it simple, going back to basics, just going to look at Paul, his situation, and his outlook around the suffering that he is currently facing, and the promises that we see from God in our passage today. There's some incredible reminders that I needed and hope will be encouraging to you as well. Going back to week one of this series, Drake introduced this idea of languishing, that space between depression and flourishing, with the goal of this series being to move us all closer to that space of flourishing. Even though he was in prison, Paul was flourishing. And so the question that I have for us today is can we suffer and flourish at the same time, like Paul? Worldly speaking, those things should not go hand in hand. I looked up the definition of flourishing, of course. I learned a lot of new words prepping for these messages. Anyway, it means that you are growing or developing in an impressively successful way. And don't we grow through our suffering? So it makes sense that we can actually flourish through suffering. That's what David started to touch on last week and what we're going to continue fleshing out today. A little context for today's passage. Paul's been arrested for sharing the gospel with people, for spreading the good news. This was during the rule and reign of Caesar, and anyone who claimed to worship anyone but Caesar was in danger of imprisonment and even death. When Paul was arrested, the Philippian church was confused. They didn't understand why. To them, him getting arrested meant the end of his ministry. They were probably thinking things like, what did Paul do to deserve this? Did he sin and this is a consequence? Did he abandon his beliefs, doubt God? Is the Holy Spirit not with him anymore? Why did God do this? Why did God allow this to happen? They wanted some kind of explanation and that's where Paul picks up in verse 12. He gives them an answer, it's pretty incredible, he says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul was so incredibly confident that it was his purpose in life to help others know God. What he's saying here is that God didn't cause this to happen. This was not a consequence for something that Paul did. He's not separated from the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's probably closer to Jesus than he's ever been. He's saying God did not cause this pain, but he absolutely is not wasting it. This seemingly terrible thing has happened, and Paul claims that God is working in all of it for his glory and for the kingdom. Okay. Pause there, I said this passage was extremely challenging. This is just the beginning of what Paul is going to say and already he's saying that in the middle of a pretty awful situation, his greatest priority is the advancement of the good news. 
I don't know about you, but I don't know that I can honestly say that about myself. When suffering and pain come my way, I respond like the Philippians, right? Asking why? Why did this happen, Jesus? Why are you allowing this? If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room today, you might wrestle with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? If there is a good God, why does he allow pain and suffering? Those are valid questions. And if you are a follower of Jesus in the room and struggle with some of those thoughts at times, I wanna pose a question and I want you to think about it for the rest of our time today. You can keep listening to me too if you want. But just to have in the back of your mind, if someone came up to you today, right here, right now, and said, why do you believe in God? There's so much suffering in the world. How can you believe in a good and all-powerful God that allows that? Do you have a good answer for them, honestly? All right, put a pin in that. Just leave that huge question there for you, and we'll come back to that. So Paul, he follows this incredible statement saying that because of his imprisonment, not only is God using that to help the people around him know God, but that other believers are hearing about what happens and are gaining confidence to boldly proclaim God's message without fear. What's that about? I was trying to imagine it, the other believers at the time hearing about this and saying, guys, Paul's in prison for sharing the gospel. Let's go share the gospel, even though we could go to jail too and possibly probably be killed. Ready, break. I just, that makes no logical sense until you look at it from Paul's perspective. Later on in this passage, he's going to say that for him, to live is to live for Christ, period. No earthly fear had any control over these people. Psalm 56, verse four says, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? That's the mindset that these people had. And courage is contagious. The believers at the time witnessed the courage of Paul and it set them on fire for Jesus. The best example in my life that I can think of is my friend Lisa. She's gonna be here in a few weeks. Um, I won't tell her story for her, but she has suffered for no good or deserving reason. Humanly speaking, it does not make sense. But when I watch her speak the name of Jesus over her circumstances and encourage others with her testimony, it gives me confidence to boldly share the life and love of Jesus with others because of how I've seen how he's worked through her suffering. So you see what Paul is getting at here in this passage. We live in a broken world and don't always understand why bad things happen, but God can bring purpose to our pain. He wants to use it. And what more worthy use, Paul says, than for the kingdom of God. And that's the part for us to wrestle with today. James says that when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so reading that, alongside Paul's situation, when suffering comes our way, not if, but when, will you allow it to consume you or will you see it as an opportunity for great joy because of how God can use it? James says that suffering tests our faith, that's true, right? When I experience pain and don't understand why, I start to either make sense of things by blaming myself, that it's something, probably a result of something I did, or I put God into a box and I simplify his power. I forget that he is in control, that he knows what he's doing, that he cares about me deeply. 
It takes me a while to get here. It's where Paul and James are to say that my pain has purpose, and that purpose is to build up my endurance and spread the life and love of Jesus. And the purpose of sharing that passage in James and talking about Lisa, what I think Paul is getting at here in this passage, is that our endurance through suffering is potentially the greatest witness of our faith to others. Sharing the gospel story with someone is so good. The message about Jesus and what he did is essential. But when you get to share that as a follower of Jesus, you have gone through it, whatever it may be, and walked out the other side, still believing or walking through it now and still have faith in God, how powerful and undeniable when the gospel is applied to your life personally. Our stories, if we're being honest, don't always look like I was a mess, then Jesus saved me, and now things are peachy. No, that's not how it works. It's that I made a decision to believe in and follow Jesus. I was saved, set free, embraced with unconditional love, grace, forgiveness, but life has not been perfect. In fact, it's been really hard, but now when I walk through the fire, I get to walk through it with God. I have a hope and a confidence and a relationship with him. I find worth, identity, and value in him. All that God taught me and how I grew through the storm, the moments with God of him revealing how deep his love for me truly is has come in my darkest seasons, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. When it's personal, it is powerful. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. He goes on to say, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Okay. Part two of feeling challenged by Paul. Here he's saying that there are people out there, not speaking about the Philippians, but other people preaching the name of Jesus to build themselves up, not the gospel, because they're selfish and literally wants people to love them the way they love Paul. They're stoked that Paul is in prison because of what that means for them. They're out to get Paul. He says they are intending to make his chains more painful to him. We don't know exactly what that means, either that their preaching made his punishment harsher in prison or that he was experiencing emotional anguish over their freedom. All we know is that their motives were selfish and he ends by saying, and this is so crazy, that it doesn't even matter because the message about Christ is being preached either way. Seriously, who is this guy? He ends all of that by saying, so I rejoice just driving home the point that makes me so uncomfortable in a good way that his greatest priority through all of this was the advancement of the gospel. Verse 18 continued, Paul says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. He goes on to say, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. 
So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And he finishes by saying in verse 26, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. A lot going on there. We'll get into all of it. Firstly, though, I want to talk about Job. I think his story parallels Paul's situation really well. I'll be honest, I used to struggle with Job's story a little bit. Like, I never really understood it. Like, God, I get what you were trying to do. I just don't understand why you let this seemingly good man suffer just to make a point. I don't know. And maybe that is the point, that we won't always understand. I mean, if Job was a good man, Jesus never sinned and suffered more than anyone. The book of Job, for those of you that are not familiar, follows the story of this guy who at first is just living his best life. Married, a bunch of kids, and other stuff that was important back then, like land and crops and animals and stuff. Verse one of chapter one of Job says that he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. The enemy, Satan, confronts God and says that he thinks Job is only obeying God to get what he wants. He asks God if he can inflict suffering on Job to essentially test his faith, to see if he'll still obey. And God allows it, suffering, for a man who does not deserve it. And the whole book is about Job and the people around him trying to make sense of it all. His buddies are like, dude, what'd you do? You know, those people, when you share what you're going through, maybe you just need to pray more. You know, you're not praying enough. Just, you gotta have more faith, right? That has either happened to us or we have been that to someone else. And not that it's bad to have faith in Jesus and pray, but sometimes you're in the thick of it and God wants to bring purpose to your situation, not just take it away. Jesus himself prayed for God to take away his suffering, but ultimately said, your will be done. He knew that there was purpose behind the pain he was about to endure. And throughout all of Job's wrestling with God, the back and forth between wanting to believe that God is good and struggling with not understanding why all of this stuff was happening to him, Job ultimately never loses the hope and confidence that God will deliver him from his suffering. And so the same word that Job uses in chapter 13 to claim this confidence is the word that Paul uses in verse 19 when he says, for I know that as you pray for me, speaking to the Philippians, and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. He's not even talking about deliverance from prison or from death, simply that suffering, his suffering will not last forever. Paul echoes here the same hope that Job had, and he goes on to say, for I fully expect in hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And this is the crux of this passage right here, the statement that Paul makes that we talked about earlier. I like to think of this as Paul's mission statement for his life. He says in verse 21, for to me, living means living for Christ. And he follows this incredible statement by saying, and dying is even better. Paul literally says that he would rather die to go and be with Jesus. Paul is awaiting a death sentence, and as he's trying to wrestle through that, this is almost like a pros and cons list between living and dying. He's just sitting in his prison cell debating back and forth with himself. He says, you know what? Dying would be so much better for me. 
because that means I get to escape all of this and go and be with Jesus in heaven. But he goes on to say, no, nope. It's better that I stay because he knows that as long as he is here, God isn't done with him yet. And so guys, read that literally. He's saying that life is really, really hard. And deciding to follow Jesus is not about signing up for all of your hopes and dreams to come true. In fact, you'll find that those hopes and dreams change really quickly when you give up your life for his. It's not about a life free from suffering and pain either. It's choosing to believe in and follow the one who died for you, created you, lived a sinless life and suffered for you so that you could know him and live with a confident hope in an eternity with him. Someone who sees all of your junk and says, I still love you. Someone who brings purpose to your pain. And so Paul concludes that for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Is anyone else not just challenged by this guy? I mean, seriously, he's so confident that the only thing that matters is how God wants to use him to help others know Jesus, find freedom, grow and experience the joy of their faith. Paul saw his life, his story, as a lived expression of the life and love of Jesus, and that's what he's inviting the Philippians into in this letter, that no matter what you're going through, God can and wants to use it for good. Like I said earlier, this has been the hardest message for me to put together, aside from it being challenging. I was also wrestling with giving a message on suffering when I know that many of you have really suffered. Not feeling like I was the right person to speak to this to you. We've all experienced suffering, but it's easy to look at what others go through and start to compare our suffering to theirs. And we start thinking that because what someone else is going through, it looks and seems harder than what we're going through. That somehow disqualifies my pain. But the truth there, and we know this, is that there is no suffering too big or too small for it to matter to God and for him to use it for good. So I do wanna share um, just how God has used this passage and this message in my life to transform the way that I look at the suffering that I experience. My greatest suffering in my 23 years has come from two places. The first being with struggles around mental health. Um, On and off for the last five or six years, my battles are battles of the mind. I don't always understand why I struggle with the thoughts and feelings that I have, but that has been the source of my hardest days. My prayers around that struggle used to look like asking God to take it away, asking for an explanation or just anger at God and then not knowing why or when things didn't seem to be changing. And sometimes my prayers still look like that. But I have noticed over time that they started to change. Now I pray, God, use this to help someone else going through the same thing. Or Jesus, this sucks and I don't understand it, but I know it's gonna be okay because I have you to walk through it with me. And I know I can take confidence that this won't be for nothing and it won't last forever. I trust God deeply that he will either use it to encourage someone else or use it to help me look more like him. I have to because otherwise the pain is just painful. Peter gives the encouragement on multiple occasions that when we suffer, we look more like Jesus who suffered for us. 
to be human is to suffer. There is no other religion on the planet that talks about suffering as much as Christianity, and I think that's simply because following Jesus is not about chasing comfort and happiness. We know that life is going to be hard, and Jesus is not a way around the storm, but someone to walk through it with us, bringing purpose to it all along the way. My second greatest source of suffering has honestly been my own sin and how it has affected both me and the people closest to me and the shame that tends to come with that. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that I have come to turn to. There's several passages helpful for those times, but this one is another letter from Paul. So the same guy that we're reading about here in Philippians, he's talking about something he calls a thorn in his flesh. And it's debated amongst theologists what that is. Paul never specifies, but I've always related to this um, passage to mean a temptation that he struggles with regularly. He says it keeps him humble, reminds him that he's human, that he's not perfect, and he says this. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think... As Christians, we sometimes feel like we can never struggle with anything. We have the power of Jesus in our lives. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And if God is our strength, then we should never struggle. We should never give in to temptation. Nothing should ever be happening to us. But the longer I live, the more I learn that people are truly broken, myself included. But watching God work in the middle of suffering the way he does through how we get to deal with our sin is some of the most beautiful work that I have seen that God do. Because we are going to mess up, and without Jesus, you're left with shame and guilt, lack of trust and broken relationships, but when we get to give it to God, he gets to do what only he can do, bring healing redemption, restoration. He puts the pieces of ourselves back together into something new that looks more like him. Paul is saying, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the hardships and troubles that he suffers. God doesn't always take it away. He says, my grace is all you need. There's a quote from Thomas Goodwin that says, God's joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased when he can show grace and mercy and pardoning, relieving, and comforting us here on earth. That's what Jesus died for. His power works best in our weakness, why? Because he came to heal the broken. Paul goes as far to say that he boasts in his weaknesses so that it's not his name that will be built up, but God's. As I was preparing for this message and feeling challenged, by Paul, I use that word challenge, but I felt crappy for a while. Can I say that? I said the word crap earlier too. I'm sorry, that's where I'm at today. But on the surface of his letters, Paul seems like he was this righteous dude that did so many incredible things for so many people. His faith was bonkers and just his outlook on life because of his faith in Jesus is so incredible. You want to be like him, but at the same time that feels unreachable. But the more I read his letters, the more I see that all he was doing was boasting about the things God did through him. Living in a relationship with Jesus is not about how good we are or become because we have Jesus. It's about how good God is because of how he works through our weaknesses. 
It's not that Paul was trying so hard. This passage, this book of Philippians, is not about challenging us to do more, but to embrace all that God can and wants to do through us. Paul's words at the end of this passage, you will take pride in Christ Jesus, not Paul, because of what he is doing through me. He says in verse 12, everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Not everything I, Paul, did or said. Verse 14, because of my circumstance, people are encouraged and empowered. So hear me on this, because this is what I needed to hear wrestling with this passage. Paul's message here is not about convicting us into doing more. It's about the encouragement that God can bring great purpose out of your pain and circumstances. It's our job to let him. So how do we do that? I think one of the main applications that we can take away from this passage is to be vulnerable and transparent about the things you're facing. Paul didn't have to send this letter. He could have given up, seen his situation as hopeless and bleak and not want the people that look up to him, his peers and friends, to know what he was going through. But he chose to share not only what was happening to him, but the hope he had through it and all that Jesus was teaching him along the way. It was about how the people around him could see that Jesus was working through his pain. Summer City Groups are kicking off next week or this week. That space can be so valuable if you allow it to be. God can't transform who you pretend to be and City Groups can be a place of deep transformation through sharing what you're going through, confessing what you're struggling with, It's possible that part of Paul's joy was in the community he had around him. In fact, in chapter four, he says the words, speaking to the Philippians, you are my joy. He had people that knew all that he was going through and were praying for him through it. Each week of city groups, we start by asking the questions, what are you grateful for? And what's causing you stress or anxiety? What's happy? What's crappy? This message should just be titled crap, I think. Anyway, I cannot even begin to tell you guys the role that community has played in my life. When I was struggling with sin, confession pulled me out of that deep, dark pit called shame. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you are always forgiven by God, but healing, true healing, comes from community. Paul says in verse 20, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. I think he meant that he wasn't going to let shame hold him back from sharing how God worked through his weaknesses. And maybe our way of being bold for Christ is to share what we've walked through and how Jesus worked through it. If you don't have a city group you're planning to plug into this week and you're interested in connecting to one, please do let us know on that connection card or visit our website. There's a pretty rad picture, you see it every week, of me and Seth going down a water slide. Look at that face, look at that. Doesn't that look like fun? I mean, I can't promise water slides at your city group, but it's gonna be a fun summer, but also a deep and meaningful summer of healing and confession and sharing and all that good stuff. Anyway, the point of all of that is to say that community is essential as we walk through suffering. In addition to that, if you are currently walking through suffering or just want to know more about what the Bible says and how God works through our suffering, like I mentioned earlier, many people that are way smarter than me have spent a much longer time digging into this subject. It's a beast and there's a lot more to know that can be discussed um, here in 30 minutes. So I just wanna throw some resources for you up on the screen if this is something that you want to continue to dig into. 
Live No Lies by John Mark Homer is one of the best books I've read on this subject. The subtitle is Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies that Sabotage Your Peace. He dives into the role that the flesh, the enemy, and the world play in our suffering, both how to recognize them and how to resist them. So good. If you just wanna know more about the theology of suffering, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room and struggle with the questions, why would a good God allow suffering, the reason for God, by Timothy Keller does an incredible job fleshing that out. So just a few resources that were really helpful for me. Other than that though, guys, I think the main challenge for us to walk away with from this passage today is can we look inward and honestly say, that our greatest priority in life is the advancement of the gospel. I've been wrestling with that one. And of course, God met me in that space with grace. And here's what I learned. Firstly, that maybe the advancement of the gospel doesn't just look like sharing through words or even the way we love people. Those things are huge. But maybe it's that people see all that you're going through and know that you still believe in Jesus that you're not just getting through it, but you're doing it all with joy and peace and purpose. So I just wanna invite you today in the same way that God has been inviting me these past few weeks to first and foremost know that he is present in your suffering, that he cares for you deeply, sees all that you're going through and wants to use it all for good. But also thinking about the way that the people around you can see how Jesus is working in all that you have gone through or are going through. And second, that in order for the gospel to be our greatest priority, we have to know Jesus. Paul knew Jesus, and he allowed God to work through his suffering because he was able to cling to the promise that God would deliver him. The more I read the Bible, the more I see that our first and greatest invitation is to know God. And through knowing God, we find everything else that we Need. I've been reading this book, it's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, incredible book on the power and purpose of prayer. Highly recommend picking it up. The author, Tyler Satin, makes a bold statement to say that the greatest discovery we can make in this lifetime is the love that God has for us. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room today and walk away with nothing else, I hope you hear that God loves you deeply, that he sees all that you're going through and wants to bring purpose to it all. I also want you all to hear that if you're still around, God's not finished with you yet. That he wants to use what you've walked through, our walking through, will walk through to both encourage and empower others, help others know the love of God and develop your endurance and character that your pain doesn't have to be wasted and his power is made known in our weaknesses. I know that life can get really overwhelming I think most of us have or will face days where it just feels impossible to keep going. I know I have, and this is what I come back to. God isn't done with me yet, and he will deliver me from this. Without him, I can't, but with him, nothing is impossible, and I have everything that I need. In chapter four of this book, four, three, Paul is going to say, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Your life has value purpose beyond yourself. You have worth and identity in God, and he wants to meet you right where you are today. I want to invite Isaac to come play the keys. John 16, 33, Jesus tells us here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 
I don't think that Paul willed himself to make the advancement of the gospel his greatest priority. I actually think that his greatest priority was to know God, and through knowing him, a passion grew in his heart for others to know him too. I believe that above all, God wants you to know how much he loves you and is working in you and for you and through that, teaching others about himself. At the beginning of this message, I asked you to ponder the question, why do you believe in God? For me, it's because without him, pain is just painful. Humanly speaking, suffering should just be suffering and it should just suck. And without Jesus, it does just suck. But with him, he can bring glory and beauty from our circumstances and brokenness. Why do I believe in God? Because he has used my pain and redeemed my brokenness in ways nothing else ever could. Why do I believe in God in a world where suffering and brokenness is everywhere? Because of how I've seen God work through it. Relationships are hard, trust is broken, people hurt other people, but that's going to happen either way. How God brings healing and redemption and restoration to that is something that the world cannot do. Life is gonna be hard. Either way, getting to do it with Jesus, walking with him, bringing purpose to all of it, that is my why. And so I'll leave you with this. Psalm 126, verse five. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. So take heart today that your tears are not wasted, that your pain has purpose, and God is working all things out for your good and for his glory. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the truth about you that we get to learn from Paul today, that you desire to work through our suffering in ways we cannot do on our own. Thank you that you see everything, that we are not alone in our suffering. Thank you for the gift of community and the healing that confession can bring. Help us to trust you more and more each day as we get to know you, your character, and how you work through our weaknesses. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us and how you desire to meet us where we are. God, I pray for my friends in the room that don't know you, that today you would reveal to them the deep love you have for them. I pray this week for the opportunities to be vulnerable and in that way to grow closer to you and one another. In Jesus' name.